It's been a crazy week. Um, I got to go to a corn concert on Wednesday in Albuquerque. Um, who knows who corn is? They're this crazy, super dark, heavy metal band that is really, really popular. So popular that 19,000 people showed up. And a few of us were invited to go strictly. We were invited by a band member, so Brian Welsh, they call him Head, Brian Head Welsh, um, got radically saved like 15 years ago. He left the band because he couldn't, he didn't feel like he could live that same lifestyle and be a Christian, because that's pretty obvious, except he felt like God called him back. He felt like God said, don't forget about your people. So he went back to the band, but he uses his influence there to share the name Jesus to the point where he gets evangelists to come in during his concerts and go and pray for people and bless them in the name of Jesus. So I got to do that, and that was crazy and dark, and you realize how much darkness there is and how much light we need to shine. Um, it was it was a ton of fun, and we got to hang out backstage, and um, Brian Welsh it loves Jesus very much, and his the bassist, his name is Fielder. I don't know what his real name is, but his, he goes by Fielder, and he loves Jesus too. And and it was it was an awesome experience. We did we did see people get healed, and um, we got rejected a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's okay. That's kind of what I expected. Um, I'm I'm used to it, you know. Friday we did uh, Church on the Street, and Church on the Street, if you haven't gone, you should go and go go evangelize with us. You can just come in and walk with us. Like, you don't have to say anything. Don't feel like you have to go step out. We're not going to push you into it right away. Maybe your second time you'll preach, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we'll give you at least a little bit of grace. But it's... God has so much grace on it, you know, and it's, it's so, I get some of my favorite stories come out of Church on the Street, and, and my faith level when I pray for people there is like this, because I see God move in just the most amazing ways. I actually, I got accused of being a psychic. I think it was the first time someone accused me of being a psychic. So last week, I got a word for this lady and I shared it, and, and there was no one else around. I really didn't think there was anyone else around. And it was kind of personal, but it wasn't like, I didn't have enough information for it to be personal. Um, I didn't really know. But I, I just shared what I thought God was saying, and she says, I, I don't believe in God. And I said, okay. I go, I go was, that, was that right? And she goes, well, you know, everyone can get lucky every once in a while. I was like, Okay. And she didn't, wouldn't let me pray for her. She went, nothing. But this time, like, I showed up. And as soon as we got there, she came to me. And she goes, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. So she pulls me to the side. And she goes, I would really appreciate if, before you disclose personal stuff about me, if no one else was around. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, you told me this and this and this and this, and someone else heard. I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize anyone else was there. And they go, well, he was sitting way in the back, but he was listening. 
And I said, I am so sorry. I go, you know, you know, Jesus loves you so much. And, and I really think he gave me that word to, to, to bring you into relationship with him. And she goes, yeah, I still don't believe in God. And I go, you don't? Well, how do you think I knew all that? She goes, well, I believe in psychics. So I know that you're a powerful psychic. <laughs> and I said, um, I've got good news and bad news for you. And she goes, what? I go, the bad news is, I'm not a psychic. <laughs> the good news is, Jesus is real. And he's the one that gave me those words for you. So she let me pray for her. And she opened up. So the first time I talked to her, she just was closed down. Uh, but she opened up. And she didn't come to church on the street. But she, she let me lay hands and pray for her. And she, I talked to her and told her about the power of Jesus. And I said, look, I'm not here to convince you. He will. I go, all it takes is an open heart. Just open your heart and ask him. Because I believe he'll actually talk to you. And so, so I'm praying, right? I'm actually going to pray right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that God wrecks her. And she grabs me next week and says, Daniel, I need to talk to you again. <laughs> it was fun. Like I, I think we went to the line and I looked at a guy and I got a word of knowledge about his back. And I was like, hey, what's wrong with your back? And he said, nothing. And I was like, it was one of those powerful words of knowledge I, I was like positive about. I'm like, are you sure there's nothing wrong with your back? And he goes, yeah, I'm good. And he goes, so there's something wrong with your back? And he goes, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm like, what's wrong with your back? And he finally goes, well, I have sciatica. I was like, I was like does it hurt right now? He goes, yeah. And so we prayed and God healed his back. And then his buddy was standing right behind him. And I looked at his buddy, and I felt neck. I'm like, what's wrong with your neck? And I hear, I'm okay. I'm <laughs> like, man, why? You just saw what he did to you for your friend. So Jesus healed both of them, and they didn't believe in God either. So God, God, God even heals the people that don't believe, and that usually happens most of the time. I share these stories not to brag about what God's doing in my life, but to, to today I'm going to be talking about testimonies. And, and I, I realize sometimes I don't share testimonies. I don't share what God's doing in my life. I used to be so much better at it. And even Sarah goes, you never really tell me anything anymore. But, you know, it, I got something in my head that said, when I, when I share all, my, all the testimonies, that I felt like I was bragging. But I realized, like, these aren't my testimonies. These are God's testimonies. This is what God's doing. And, and it's not just for me, right? And so the, the point of sharing your testimony and testimonies like this is, is to share what God has done in your life because whatever he's done in my life, he'll do in your life. I'm 100% convinced. You know, we used to have, we, some of us are on this WhatsApp group. We used to have the Good News WhatsApp group. And we would post all of our testimonies. And every day, and there was like, Ones where like there was a lamb that had like a big old growth on its side and someone prayed for it and the growth went away. And I was like, that's awesome. If I ever see a lamb with a big old growth on it, I'm going to use that to build my faith and I'm going to share that testimony, right? So we are going to start with Plato. <laughs> we are. We are. So, so it, well, I'm taking a class and it's, it's, it's theology and philosophy, 
So you guys get to take the class with me. No, but this is good because it's, I don't think this was meant for this, but because it was, it's Socrates and Plato and, and these conversations and, but there's, there's true wisdom in it, but there's true wisdom in Jesus in him. So I'm not going to tell the whole story. I'm just going to summarize it. So this is, this is Plato's um, allegory of the cave. Okay. So I want you to picture this. There, there, there's a cave, right? And there is, there's people inside the cave. And these people are shackled in the cave, right? So they're, they're facing a wall. So you kind of have the opening over here. They're facing this wall. But they're shackled in a way that their faces are stuck on this wall, right? So they, get, they don't really get much light from the opening because it's one of those windy caves. And they're just, they're just there and they're shackled and they've been there since forever, Okay, behind them, there's a half a wall. Okay, so there's a half a wall behind them, and then right behind the half a ball, wall, there's a walkway. So on that walkway, there's another group of people that carry statues from one part of the cave to the other, and they carry them on their heads. Okay, behind the walkway, there's a fire. Okay, so picture this. So, so there's a fire, they carry them above their heads, the, the people that are shackled, they can't see over the half wall, or the half wall is higher than the people on the walkway, but they see the statues. They see the shadows of the statues, right? And so that's all they know. And so, so what do you suppose they think those shadows are? People. Humans, beings, something, right? Something alive. They just see them going back and forth, back and forth. And that's all they ever know. So say, and that's their truth, right? That's, that's all they know. That's all they've been brought up to. They've been, they've been focused. That's what they know. So say one of them gets, one of them gets freed, right? One of, the, one of the people that are shackled finally gets freed, and he turns around, and he sees the brightness of the fire. Now, before, they were just seeing the shadows and the dimness. So he sees the brightness of the fire. And, and the brightness is so bright that he can't stand it. So he sits back down and just as if he was shackled. Right? Because he doesn't know better. He goes back to what he knows. Right? So suppose someone comes in for, from the cave, outside the cave, takes this guy and brings him outside the cave. Right? It holds him there, and his eyes adjust, and he sees, and he, there's this whole new truth exposed to him, right? So, the question is, does the freed person have a moral responsibility to share with the other shackled people what the truth is? See, he's been exposed to something totally different, right? Something that's, that's new, that's, he, I mean, here we're, we're talking about the light, and, and it's a whole new truth. Like, everything that he believed before is no longer true. So does he have a moral responsibility to share with the others what the truth is? Okay, so while you think about that, think about this. 
when he goes down there, say he does. So he, he decides, I need to go share with everyone, right? We all think they're going to be overjoyed. They're going to say, oh my God, there's more to life than just looking at shadows all day shackled in this cave, right? So, so he goes down there, but, but he gets ridiculed, right? He gets ridiculed. They make fun of him. They say, that's not true. None of that's true. Why would you even come back down here? Are you guys following me? <laughs> right? He gets ridiculed. And, and I mean, he even, like, even to the point where they get mad. They think this guy's lying to him, and, 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 and they could kill him. Right? So, but does he have a moral responsibility to still go down there and share? Even though when he really thinks about it, he knows that he'll be ridiculed and persecuted. Yes? He does, right? See, at whatever cost, I say yes, and I think that this is, this is what the Bible teaches us. See, before I came to Christ, and I tell people this all the time, I had a whole set of truths in my life. There was things that I believed were true. Everything. Like, you could have... I, I was the most stubborn guy you'll ever meet. Like, I look at my brother who's not saved, and he's super stubborn, and I laugh at him because I'm like, I was even more stubborn than you. <laughs> but no one could have convinced me anything else because I wasn't exposed to anything, right? I had truth. Your truth is based off of your past, your culture, your knowledge, everything. That's why if, if someone's not exposed to healing and prophecy and those types of things... They just haven't been exposed to it. So it's not their truth. You know, I think, praise God, like most of us in this room have. Right? But we build our truth based off of what we've been exposed to. And so in, the, in, in Acts 26, I, I just, I'm going to try and decide if I want to read the whole chapter or just kind of middly through it. Um, Acts 26 is, is you know, um, Apostle Paul's standing trial, right? He, he finally gets a chance um, to, to speak in, in, in his defense. And I'm just going to start reading. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. He goes on. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life, in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. See, Paul starts out his defense by what? Sharing how he was. Right? He was sharing about who he was before. Before he fell off the horse, before he encountered Jesus in a real way, right? Before he had a relationship 
And he, he continues, And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am child today. This is a promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blasphemy. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one occasion, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority of the commission of the chief priest. Right? So, so all of this was pre-Jesus. This was, this, he, this, he, he is saying, this is who I was. Right? This is, he's starting out his whole defense by saying, this is who I was. And then he gets into who, I, who he is now, and, or he gets into his, his experience. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Arabic, Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from power of saying to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul goes, this is who I was. I was opposed to what I'm preaching now. I was killing and persecuting the same people that I'm saying I am now. But this happened. And this transformed my life. This was a transformation. Right? That is why it continues. That is why the Jews seized me and on the temple courts and try to kill me, but God has helped me into this very day. So I stand here and testify to, to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and at first, <clears throat> as the first to rise from dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Right, so it continues, like, and, and it gets to a point where Fetus interrupts Paul and goes, you're out of your mind, Paul. And then and Paul defends, I, what I say is reasonable. And, this, and then it gets into the point, it, I, I just love this, because uh, Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that is such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul is standing trial, and, and King Agrippa actually realizes that, that this guy is standing trial, but he's here to actually try to convince him, right? He's there preaching the name Jesus. Paul replied to him, short time or long, 
I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul shared his testimony. It was, it was, it was the most powerful way for him to share the gospel. Right? When, as soon as he got the opportunity... He shared his testimony, right? He shared who he was, what happened, and who he is now, right? There, were, there was a transformation that take, took place. And why did he do it, right? Why did he do it? I just told you. <laughs> to, make, to make believers, yeah. right? To make believers. His testimony was his tool to make other believers because people knew who he was. Right? So in my life, I love seeing people that haven't seen me in a while. (laughs) Because I've been transformed. Because everything that I thought was truth before is actually lies. I was like, shackled people behind the wall looking at shadows my whole life right but now I see the light and I've been transformed and I want to share it with everyone so I love I love when I see people I love when people come up to me and they go Daniel I'm I'm having coffee with someone this week hey tell me what happened to you Because I got to share. How many of you shared your testimony in the last week? It's great. Our testimony is our most powerful tool. And Paul shows us, right? I hear people say, my testimony is boring. No one wants to hear my testimony. But when you say that, I hear what God did in your life is boring. And I know that's not true. See, everyone has a testimony. And, and I, you know, sometimes people have known Jesus their whole lives. That's an amazing testimony. Right? Some people have had a relationship with Jesus their whole lives. Some people were just church kids. They grew up and they went to church and went to church and went to church but never had a relationship with Jesus. And then all of a sudden experience him in a real way and has a relationship. That's equally as powerful. Because everyone who has a testimony has someone to touch with their testimony. See, I went to a corn concert. Do you know how many people told me I don't believe in God? Hey, let me pray for you. I don't believe in God. I'm like, that's okay. I used to not believe in God either. (laughs) Right? I could say, I'm an atheist. They, that's what they'd say. Oh, no, I'm an atheist. I'm like, well, so was I. And I could say, I went 37 years of my life as being an atheist. But now I see the light. Right? Because that's powerful. Because when they hear that, it, it sparks something in their head. They go, how can this guy be 
an atheist for 37 years of his, this rug is jacked. I'm like, how can someone be, and then all of a sudden come to Christ? And, and if you knew me, if you knew me pre-Jesus, you would have never guessed. And so in the business field, my friends, my family, maybe not everyone's converted yet, but they're asking questions. I get lots of questions. See, it is important for us. You know, one of the best things that happened when I, when I first came to Christ and, and as I grew and, and I knew that who he was and, and who, who I was, was I had a pastor that said, you need to come up with a five-minute testimony, a two-minute testimony, a five-minute testimony, and like a 30-minute testimony. And I've used them all. And, and our testimonies continue to change, but I use them all, right? Because sometimes I'm at a corn concert where the guy's only going to give me 15 seconds, right? <laughs> and I say, I was an atheist too, but I experienced God in a real way. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears healed, and the lame walk, right? Maybe that's all I get. But I get to share part of my testimony. And then some people, like the guy I'm going to have coffee with this week, we're going to have coffee, and I'm going to share it all with him. Not because I'm bragging because this is what God has done in my life, but I want him to know what God can do in his life. How many of you have heard my testimony? So I was curious. I go, what? When I, do you guys remember, okay, so, uh, I don't know, like a month ago, I, I preached and I said, me preaching up here is a testimony itself. Like, I was scared to share my testimony, and, and I had wrote out my testimony for a church, but I sat on the, on the, do you guys remember this? I sat on the edge of the thing, and I couldn't even get up to say it because I was so scared, so my, my pastor came over and did this, and I, I mumbled and I shook. Well, I found that testimony that I wrote out. So I'm just going to read it. Sorry. Jerome's like, that's your fault. You messed with your mic. I want to share because it's, it's, it's like just the beginning. You know, and it's, it's, for me, it was, it's, it, it was just, it's amazing. And, and it's something that I'll always have and I could always go back to. You know, now it's just, just the beginning. Like, it's just like, I'm just getting going. But it was my testimony, right? And in it, and I didn't even realize I did it, but in it, I talked about who I was before, what happened, and who I became. So I titled, How I Became a Follower of Christ. My life before Christ was a normal life. Something someone would say, living the American dream. I had an amazing family, good job, money, and all the big kid toys you could ask for. Although living this American dream, there were things I was not doing that I was proud about. I would drink alcohol every day. 
I would get home from work every day and head straight to the cabin to get my favorite Crown & Coke cup, fill it with ice, and pour a stiff drink. I needed this to relax, to calm down from my hectic day. My drink was first. It was before I'd say hello to my wife, and it was before I would hug my kids. I needed alcohol, and I knew it. I would not take care of my health. I have gout, and I would continue to eat and drink the things that would cause me, my gout to flare up. I would continue doing the very things that would cause me excruciating pain on a daily basis. My nights, I would have to just put up my legs and because of all the pain. I mean, it was bad. Like, I, I, was, I was unhealthy. On top of that, my diet was not leading me into a long life. I fear I may not meet my grandkids. If I did live as long, a long life, I wouldn't have been in any shape to enjoy it. I always had to buy new toys. I had to have something new. I have more than most dream about, but always needed more. The saddest part that I'm not proud of is that I would look at other people and see them always smiling and think to myself, why are they smiling all the time? Why are they so happy? Why can't I be happy like them? Again, I have everything. I had everything. And so my wife and my kids and my job, they, they were great. And they still remain great. They've gotten so much better. Um, at least I thought I had everything. And overall, I was a good person, but still was abusing al alcohol, had a horrible diet, was in pain all the time, and still had to buy the bigger and better things to try to be the guy smiling all the time. Again, while living the American dream, I started to see a lot of things around me. A friend of mine had a husband unexpectedly die in a routine procedure. I saw things in the media. So, so just real break. So you see, like, I didn't, like, follow any pattern, right? But I, I described who I was. Like, th that's who I was. Like, that's, that was, that was, that was my life. That was... Everyone around me thought I was happy. I, I mean, this isn't rained down. I just, I want you guys to understand, like, no one actually told me I had a problem with alcohol. Not once. I mean, I was, like, drinking and driving and doing stuff that I think to myself, like, praise God that I didn't hurt myself or anyone else. But I was such, such a functioning alcoholic. I was so functioning that no one ever said, Daniel, you have a problem. Right? I was just the happy guy that would have a couple drinks. But I knew that there was a problem because I knew I was dependent on it. it got to, I was drinking a fifth of whiskey every day. Every day. And, and I would be completely, people wouldn't even realize I was ripped. Okay, so I saw things in the media and I had a close friend go through what people would describe as a complete mental breakdown. I was becoming very aware of a lot of bad but my friend had the biggest impact on me. He was a lot like me. He worked really hard. He had money, a great family, and he was also living the American dream. Yet, he went through this breakdown. During his breakdown, my friend described seeing angels, light from heaven, and more in, and more in relation. Everything, everyone was talking like he had gone completely crazy. Everyone thought he was delusional. But for whatever reason, I believed him. I believed he was seeing and feeling these things. I believed that there was some sort of spiritual battle. Something was telling me 
This is true, and I did not understand since I did not believe in that type of stuff. His situation hit too close to home. I was under the same stresses, and I was trying to live that perfect life. This situation made me ask myself questions. Could this happen to me? How can I believe what, I, how can I believe what he is saying if I don't believe in religion? I said religion back then. <laughs> A week after my friend's event, I felt the need to go to church. I walked to church that Sunday morning by myself, and it felt good. The next Sunday, my whole family came with me. I began to pray, and I began to read the Bible. There, <clears throat> then there was classes I was available, and I began to attend. I needed to learn all about my faith. I filled my free time with reading the Bible, reading books about faith, and praying. One of the biggest, if not the biggest points when finding Christ was one morning I felt the need to climb a mountain. I did not know where this idea came from. I was working on getting in shape at the time, but still nothing I would have ever done. I climbed a mountain that morning, and it was amazing. I had a feeling of accomplishment. I had a feeling that I could not describe other than spiritual. I began to climb the mountain regularly, like all the time. And I would either listen to the audio Bible or pray on the way. God spoke to me for the first time on that mountain, and I never turned back since. If I have doubts in my faith, that is the moment I think about as, if the, most, as the most powerful moment in my life. I'm almost done. Since I found Christ, I see the truth. I realize now, although I thought I was living the American dream, I was missing something. I was missing something that my amazing family could not give me. I was missing something that no amount of alcohol can numb or money could buy. I know now I was missing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I am so full of peace, love, and happiness now. I love and am closer to my family a million times more. I love my Heavenly Father and get to pray and talk to Him daily. I feel filled and overflowed with His Spirit. I am that guy smiling all the time. The, face I, uh, the way I feel every day, I can only pray others and everyone can feel. I used to think to myself, I don't need the Bible to tell me what I can and can't do. I feel now that I long to live like Jesus, but, but not because that's what Jesus says, but because I want to. I can go get drunk if I want to. I can live a life of sin if I want to, but I just don't want to. I am truly happy. So I wrote that like six months after I got saved. And it is just as powerful today. You know, I've experienced so much more. So I, I'm going to just show this. Let's see if it comes up. So the picture quality is bad. But I, I'm going to show, that was me in the black with the red hat. Wow, Holding a bottle of Crown. That's my brother. That was me. Isn't that great? <laughs> huh? No, no, no. That was me, and I've got, I've got 37 years of pictures to prove it. <laughs> See, I get to say that used to be me, right?
I was seeking happiness in all the wrong things because I was believing lies. I was believing lies that all this other stuff was going to make me happy, that all this other stuff was going to complete me, right? But they were all shadows. They're all shadows of, of false gods and statues and everything else. And today, this is why when people see me that haven't seen me in a long time, <laughs> sometimes they don't even recognize me. I'm like, hey, Bob, who are you? <laughs> Daniel. Right? I mean, since then, God has used me in, I should turn, everyone's like staring at it now. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> See, since then, God has used me in, in the most powerful ways, right? When I was searching for that picture in my phone, because it's been a while, I was flipping through all my pictures, and I saw pictures of me standing with a lady with her wheelchair in front of her. Because I prayed for her and she walked, right? I saw pictures of us in Africa. I saw pictures with people that used to be blind. I saw pictures with us in Tijuana and, and, and Juarez and Anapra and Reynosa and people on the street. And, and I'm flipping through my pictures and I'm remembering all these great testimonies. But the greatest testimony of them all is what God did in my life. Right? So God has used me in the most powerful ways, and I share this not to brag, but to tell you that he wants to use you in the same ways. My testimony is my number one tool. Anyone that's gone out with me, they know. Like, I see someone that's an alcoholic, and they go, I can't be a Christian because I'm an alcoholic. And I say, I used to be an alcoholic too. We got back from Africa, and I was like in a depression. And my very, like three weeks in, I was walking down the street. I wasn't even going to tell the story, but I just want to show like how powerful our testimonies are. I was walking down the street, and I saw this guy, early 20s, across, and he looked rough. Rough, rough, rough. And he was sitting there with his buddy in a, in a, like one of those electric moped wheelchair things, right? Like for people that are, are, are can't walk. Like, but it's not, it's not a wheelchair. It's those cart thing. So I was walking and I felt God tell me, go pray for him. And I said, oh, I don't feel like it, God. <laughs> I didn't. Like I was like, I looked and I was like, no, and then I just kept feeling it and feeling it and feeling it. And I kept feeling God pressing me to go pray for him. And how many of you have been in that situation? Happens. How many of you have done this? Because I know, I know that this is not just me. Where I go, okay, God, I'm going to walk to the end of the street. If they're still there when I get back, I'll pray for them. <laughs> yes? So that's, that was the deal, right? <laughs> and guess what? They were there when I got back. And I was full of faith. Like this was three weeks after getting back from Mozambique with Heidi Baker and seeing literally people that had been blind for eight, eight years get their sight back and watching, witnessing bones grow back. Like my faith 
was never greater. And I walk up and I go, I, I think I just sat down on the bench. I sat down on the bench and this guy goes, what the F do you want? Ooh. It's like, I was just walking. I just want to come say hi to you guys. And I'm thinking I'm praying for the guy in the wheelchair. To be honest, like, I'm like, this is my guy. And so I'm like, first thing I go, I go, so what happened? And they both start laughing. And he goes, oh, I don't need to use this thing. I just use it because it's my transportation. And I'm like, oh. And so we're sitting there, and they're just, this guy's like pulling out a bottle of importers, and he's drinking, and he's offering it to me. Like, this guy is super generous. Like, I, as much, as bad as it, it sounds, he was super generous because he'd always, he offered, I got, I could have drank the whole time with him and smoked all day with him because he kept offering me cigarettes. And, and so he, he goes, why are you here? And I go, honestly, I was, I was walking down the street and I felt like God, or I felt like Jesus told me to come pray for you. And he goes, F Jesus. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and he goes, are you sure you want to talk to me? And I go, yeah. I go, I truly feel like Jesus wants to touch you right now. <laughs> that guy's not touching me, right? <laughs> and, he, and I'm looking, and he, he, this guy looks, like I'm looking at his knuckles. Like if, if he's ta- telling me stories about beating people up, and I'm looking at his knuckles, and this guy's not making up stories. Like this guy, this guy is rough. So I just start asking him about his day, and he's like, oh, you know, drunk living on the street, and I didn't realize he was homeless. Like, he actually didn't look homeless. Um, but he's like, I'm living on the street. My, and I'm like, you know what, man? I think that's why I'm here. And his buddy's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> so the buddy takes off on the little electric cart. And this guy goes, he's telling me this. I go, I know why I'm here. And he goes, why are you here? I go, I used to be an alcoholic. And he goes, what do you mean? So I shared my whole story. Because what I didn't tell you was, I just quit alcohol like that. That's, that wasn't my, I, I just, I literally, one morning I said, it was like 40 days till Easter, I said, I'm going to give up alcohol and red meat for, for Lent. And I said, God, I need your help. And I was able to quit drinking. Sarah told me that she threw away that bottle it's been in there in our cabinet this whole time. She she started cleaning out the cabinets and she threw away that bottle just recently. He took away every urge to drink. Right? So I got to share this story. I got to share the personal alcohol story testimony of what God did for me in that and he goes, "Well, if Jesus could take that away from me, I would believe in him. I said, great, let me pray for you. F that. You're not praying for me. <laughs> and so we just continue to talk. And he goes, why are you here? I go, I care about you. Why the F do you care about me? Because he does. And I'm, I'm not talking, like, this isn't like a couple minutes. Like, I sat down with this guy because, you know, honestly, I was kind of beat. Like, I, I was kind of, as Sarah, like, I had three horrible weeks when I got back from, picture being, like, in the gospel and then coming back to Las Cruces. 
And so I'm just sitting there, and he kept saying, why are you here? And I'm like, because I care about you. And finally, he shows me that he has a card for AA. He goes, I think I'm going to go to this meeting. The whole time, he's drinking. Like, we're talking. He's just drinking, and he's slurring his words, and he's like, he would probably make a sailor blush the way he was speaking, right? And so, like, an hour goes by. And he kept saying, like, I'm not worth it. I'm a drunk. I live on the street. I'm, like, 23 years old, and I'm a loser. Why are you here? I, he goes, I've killed people. I've beat up people. I've been in prison. And I go, because I care about you. And then he finally tells me this story about how he, he's a felon, and he's not supposed to have a gun. But some kid falls into a ditch. This kid falls into a ditch, and he knew that someone called the police, and he thought to himself, do I save the kid and risk going to jail for a long time because I have a gun on me, or do I let the kid drown? Well, he saved the kid. And he ended up not going to jail. The cops didn't check him. And so I got to use that. I'm like, well, you cared about that kid, right? I see your heart. Jesus loves you, and he wants to use you in powerful ways. But he wouldn't believe. He wouldn't believe. He wouldn't believe. And then finally, like after like an hour and a half, you guys think I'm joking. Like this, it's been this long. An hour and a half goes by, and he goes, you know what? Pray for me. I said, okay. So I laid hands on him, and I prayed for him. I prayed for the presence of God, and it was like the lamest prayer ever. Like I... Sometimes you pray for people, and you're like, did you feel that? <laughs> I felt it. No, I didn't feel anything. And neither did he. He goes, that did nothing. I said, yeah, well, maybe. And he goes, yeah, that, that did nothing. And, and, but what was interesting is, so we start talking for another minute, like one more minute. And this guy goes, you know what, Daniel? I've never done this before. I've never wasted an ounce of alcohol in my life. He takes his, now it was a different bottle, like two-thirds full <laughs> bottle of importers, takes it, takes off the cap, takes one more swig, throws it in the trash can right there. I'm like, whoa. You know, it just like triggered this. And then he was like, and then there's this guy that walks up, and this is great. <laughs> Such a good story. This, this other guy walks up. His name's Mitch. Mitch is walking down the street, and he asks, and the guy who was with, was, his name was Anthony. He asks Anthony, do you have a cigarette? Well, remember I told you, Anthony's super generous, right, with, <laughs> with his booze and his cigarettes. So he goes, yeah. He goes, here, here's two. And I'm like, hey, Mitch. All right, I go, hey, what's your name? He goes, I'm Mitch. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, Mitch. And I go, how are you? And he goes, I'm all right, except, man, I was moving, and my shoulder is jacked. I go, no way. I go, let me pray for you. And then I get interrupted by Anthony, drunk Anthony. He goes, hey, Mitch, I just quit drinking alcohol. Here's my AA card. And I thought, man, like, maybe you should use that card. Like, maybe... <laughs> And, the, and so Mitch is like, I'm okay. Like, I don't, I don't need that card. Thanks, man. And Mitch, normal-looking dude, right? Normal-looking guy. 
And Anthony goes, no, take it. You need it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you need it, right? <laughs> and then Mitch is like, I'm okay. And then Anthony goes, take it. Mitch goes, okay. And so he just took it, and I'm thinking, like, he's just being nice, right? So I go, hey, Mitch, let me pray for your shoulder now. I go, I've been trying to convince Anthony for, like, an hour and a half that Jesus is real. And I don't know what your faith is. I don't know what you believe in, but I believe Jesus is going to heal your shoulder. And Mitch is like, okay. And so I, I pray for his shoulder, and he does the normal thing, like, thanks. You know, I'm like, no, check it out. And I go, do this. And he goes, yeah, I did nothing. And he goes like this, and he goes, I have no more pain. <laughs> and Anthony goes, you're so full of, right? And, he, and so Anthony goes, give me a high five then. Because if we saw how much pain he was in. And so Anthony and this guy do high fives. There's no pain. Mitch, this is crazy. Mitch goes, you know what, guys? To be honest, my wife is at the doctor down the street, and I was on the way to CVS to go buy a bottle of booze. I don't want any booze now. And he turns around and goes back. And I'm thinking to myself, God just used Anthony as a prophet. <laughs> like like he, totally, he totally gave Anthony a word of knowledge about Mitch's life. Right? But uh, Mitch goes, Anthony drops down to his knees. He drops down to his knees. He goes, pray for me again. And so I pray for him, and the Holy Spirit, I felt it. Anthony felt it. It wrecked him. Wrecked him. And I go, how'd that feel? And he goes, I've never felt that before. And I go, what does it feel like? He goes, I'm sober. <laughs> Instantly sober. Instantly. He's talking. He stops cussing. The slurring is gone. This guy is talking of right mind. And he's, he's there, and he starts crying, and he goes, I can't remember the last day I was sober. And, I, and so I stayed another 30 minutes with him, <laughs> and I just talked him through it, and I told him that when, if he struggles later on to ask Jesus for help, I go, you can't do this on your own. I couldn't have done it on my own. But ask Jesus for, your help, for help. And he goes, Daniel... I don't need to ask Jesus. I just have to remember how I feel right now. So I go home, and I tell Sarah. And the next day, like, I get out, and I start looking around for Anthony. I'm like, I'm going to find him. And I know he's going to have a hard night. Like, no matter what, like, the way this guy was drinking, and I couldn't find him. I couldn't find him all day long. And I'm, like, bummed. And I get home. And I'm like in the room reading my Bible at like 7 o'clock. And I come out, I'm like, Sarah, I can't. I got to go find Anthony. Right? And so I go downtown. And I see him walking. And so I pull over real quick. And I start running up behind him, but he's got headphones on. So I'm like, Anthony, and nothing. And then I remembered like how violent this guy was. So I'm like, I'm not going to approach him from behind. <laughs> I don't know how it last night went, and maybe he doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> and so I did, I did one of those numbers where I ran all, like I did like a whole like halfway circle, like where I went across the street and back around. And he saw me, and 
He wasn't, he wasn't overjoyed, but he was sober. I said, how are you? And he goes, I'm sober. So that's great. And I go, you, I go, you remember what you told me? You remember the promise you made? He goes, I remember that promise. And I just left it there. Like, I knew this guy was it. And, and so for the next, like, week, sober. Two weeks later, he's off the street. Three weeks later, he's got a job. Totally cleaned up. And then I think he's moved on, and he, he's, but like that, Jesus healed him. But it took my testimony, right? Because someone that didn't have a problem with alcohol might not have been able to touch him. Right? We all, our testimony might not be for everyone, but it's for many, right? I wasn't even going to share that story, but I love that story. So, Revelations 12, 11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Right? Like the freed person, we've been set free by the blood of Jesus. And our testimony has power. And we get to tell people who we were before, what happened in our lives, and who we are now. And we get to pray. When we pray for people... We pray that they experience Jesus, right? So we get to, by the grace of God, be part of other people's testimonies too. See, Anthony, he will remember me. Not because I walked with power, but because I sat down with him because I love Jesus. And he saw how much I love Jesus and what that... And he saw how much I loved him because of it. So in this, we're going to start, and, and you don't have to. Everyone has to share their testimony right now. No. So next week, we're doing the worship service. The week after that, I want to give time. We talked about a two-minute testimony, a five-minute testimony, a 30-minute testimony. And, and we don't have time to do everyone's 30-minute testimonies. But I think, I think that we have testimonies in this room that, that can bring power to all of us. Right? Because just like I told you about the lamb with a growth, that was someone else's testimony. But if I see a lamb with a growth on it, I'm taking that as mine. And I'm going to say there was a time when there was a growth on a lamb. And Jesus healed him. And so when we hear testimonies of other people's lives and how Jesus touched them, when we come across that, right? So you might not have been an alcoholic, but you come across an alcoholic now, and you can say, I know this guy who was super big, but still good looking. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he was an alcoholic, and Jesus healed him, right? And so, so what I want to do is, and I want to ask, I just want to give five minutes. I want to give five minutes to whoever wants to do it. Well, you could sign up, and the first person to say, I want to give my five-minute testimony, it'll, they'll be next week. And I think Garrett's already signed up. But I want to hear about you guys. I want to hear about your transformation. I want to know how Jesus has transformed your life. Every one of you. Because no matter, even if you think your story is boring, I promise you, nothing that God does is boring. So you don't have to, but I want to encourage you. In, in writing out my testimony was one of the best things I ever did. It was. Because it, I read it back now, and it's, it's so good. Like I said, religion in it. <laughs> Jesus is so good, and he's done amazing things in all of our lives. And it is up to us, and we are actually called to share what he's done. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you that we're no longer seeing shadows on the wall. Thank you that, that you've done an amazing thing in each and every one of our lives. And I thank you that you want to continue to use us. I thank you that we get to be part of other people's testimonies. God, make us more bold. Make us bold and let us use the powerful tool that you gave us. Guide us. Guide us. Push us. Push us when we're walking down the street and you, you, we don't want to stop and you make us. <laughs> don't let those people leave, God. Bring us into your will, God. Bring us into a deeper relationship with you. Give us more testimonies, God. I ask for our daily miracle. Our, I ask for a daily testimony. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for how you've transformed me and how you've transformed so many others. And we pray for transformation of this world. And we say, use us in doing so. It's in Jesus' name I pray. <laughs>